Thank you, Caleb, Stephen, and all of our choir for the gift of music and for bringing it to our congregation this morning. I am preaching the final sermon in this series, Bill, Katie, and I have been preaching that place our lectionary passages from the Gospel of Luke in conversation with the words of John O'Donohue's blessings in To Bless the Space Between Us. Today, we are focusing on states of the heart, and we are reading a parable that one commentator warns sizzles in the summer heat. So let us start today with a prayer. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The 12th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke says, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and I will store up all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to the man, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves and are not rich toward God. Thanks be to God for God's holy word. So this summer, I was traveling on the freeway, and I found my road trip bingo holy grail, the four-vehicle combo. Now, this is an RV with a motorcycle strapped to that, followed by a Jeep with a kayak on that. This replaces my three-vehicle combo that I saw in South Dakota once, which was an RV pulling a pickup with a golf cart on the bed of the pickup. And I feel like there's room for a five-vehicle combo if the, these people would just add, you know, maybe a bicycle and, for good measure, a bumper sticker that says, whoever dies with the most toys wins. You can't take it with you, says Jesus, but we sure do try. The RV is a ridiculous example, even a caricature like the parable of, the, of like the rich fool in Jesus's parable. But I think that we can all relate. My friends and I talk all about all the time about the benefits of downsizing versus sorting through all of these decades of accumulated family artifacts, which would take too much energy, so we stay put. So I'm in no place to judge this RV driver. Examples of excess and materialism and the resulting impacts on the environment, on our neighbors and our psyches are everywhere. The fast fashion movement has created an environmental crisis as it has stuffed our closets. This is an image of Ghana, where piles of clothes wash up on the beach. 
You see, vendors buy bales of used clothing from charity shops in the U.S. and in Europe, and 40% of those clothes are not suitable to be sold, and so they end up in landfills and waterways and the ocean. The local name for these soiled, ripped, and unusable garments is dead white men's clothes. You can't take it with you. So we say, but our barns, our closets, our homes, our houses, our basements, and our sheds, and some of our bank accounts are filled to overflowing. The commentator is right. This, this parable about materialism and greed does kind of sizzle. And I'm right here with you in the hot seat. As it turns out, I've been building bigger barns my entire life. True story, my very first job was building a grain silo. I was five years old, and I was to put the bolts through the holes on one side while a family member put the nuts on the bolts on the other side. And the grain bin that I built is uh, one of the smaller ones in the middle of this picture. Bigger ones have been built on our family farm since then. I earned enough money to buy a doll that did somersaults. Later on in life, my husband Brian and I made perfectly legal but ethically questionable, regrettable investments that earned us enough to eat at a handful of Michelin-starred restaurants and drink a few bottles of fine French wine and go on merry vacation. Not too long ago, in another life, I've uttered similar words to Jim Adams in the movie Waffle Street. What we do is legal, therefore, it is not unethical. If it were unethical, it would be illegal. He repeats over and over and over to himself as he tries to sell mortgage securities to his clients through his hedge fund. So Waffle Street is the story of his riches to rags demise, where he ends up working at the Waffle House for $2.13 an hour, plus tips. And it is there that he learns a lot about life and begins to fess up to his role in the 2008 financial crisis. And he eventually changes his career path and decides to use his expertise to help people save, hopefully honestly and ethically, for retirement. If it is legal, it must be ethical, right? It is perfectly legal for the rich man in Jesus' parable to hire cheap labor to work his land. It is legal for him to hoard the harvest and legal for him to mark up the prices if there is a famine. After all, he might say to himself, my ancestor Joseph was uh, over all of the grain and land in Egypt for Pharaoh. But he conveniently forgets that ancestors later were forced to make bricks for Pharaoh's storehouses and supply cities. Like all good parables, this one starts with a question. Jesus, will you tell my brother to split the inheritance fairly? And Jesus could have proposed a legal solution. There are lots of laws about inheritance. But instead, he focuses on the underlying ethical question of greed and materialism. Our ethics and our values live in our hearts, which carry, according to O'Donohue, the book of life. Just a few verses after this parable, Jesus says those familiar words, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The rich fool's heart is fully invested in his grain bins. Notice his first-person language. 
I will pull down my barns. I will build new ones. I will say to myself, eat, drink, and be merry. There's no reference to God, the creator of this abundant harvest, no reference to his laborers who make this profit possible, and no reference to his neighbors who this grain will one day feed. In the Gospel according to Luke, uncomfortable references to wealth are woven through the text. Pregnant Mary sings, God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And Jesus begins his ministry with the words of Isaiah proclaiming, God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we, here at Kenilworth Union, who teach third graders the Ten Commandments, shouldn't be surprised. After all, we help our young scholars remember the Ten Commandments using fingers. And so if you put up ten fingers, the ten command, Tenth Commandment is do not covet. And we teach the kids to remember what the word covet means by saying, give me, give me, give me, with those ten fingers. So we know from the Bible, and we know from experience, that materialism does not bring happiness. Each of us knows someone or has been that someone who is heartsick and hopeless because we measure our days with questions like, how much did I make and how much stuff did I get? We know from the Bible, we know from our experience, and we know from psychology that materialism does not predict happiness or satisfaction. Our community and sometimes sponsored by this church's Alice and Toby Smart Fund, has brought psychologist and New York Times author Madeline Levine here to the community to talk on multiple occasions. In fact, she says that she's been to the North Shore more than any other place. In her first book, The Price of Privilege, she names materialism as one of several challenges to youth mental health in affluent communities. Materialism is this value system that emphasizes wealth, status, image, and material consumption above anything else. Our hearts are where our values live. And sometimes materialism and fear co-occupy that space. Levine asked her students to think about the things that their parents should worry about versus what they do worry about. It turns out the students in our community say they, that parents do worry about money, they do worry about jobs, and they do worry about social status, but they don't worry enough, she says, about mental health and happiness. She said that in 2016, and she was scheduled to come here in 2020, but that was, uh, that was rescheduled, but I, I wonder if that message would still be the same today. Our hearts are muscles. Biologically speaking, they pump oxygenated blood throughout our bodies, but metaphorically speaking, they are our emotional centers, the home of our values and ethics, and as one poet put it, the core of our being. Our spiritual muscles can atrophy just like our physical muscles atrophy when we sit stagnant on the couch, binge-watching episode after episode of opulent wealth in shows like The Gilded Age, I love that show, Downton Abbey, Real Housewives, Selling Sunset, and all of these shows are interspersed with commercials for luxury cars. I saw one luxury car commercial that used that first-person language of the parable of the rich fool. I am led by my legacy. What I become is up to me. I am free. I am limitless. 
Disciple and discipline have the same root word as followers of Jesus. We interpret these sometimes hard-to-hear teachings in our community, and then we live them out to the best of our ability. It takes discipline and practice it always has, which is why people throughout the ages have developed rules of life to order ourselves to become more Christ-like. Just like some of, our, some of us prefer to keep our physical selves in shape with CrossFit or Orange Theory or Peloton or maybe water aerobics or just a walk around the neighborhood, there is also a spiritual discipline for every style as well. One of the more famous one is the rule of St. Benedict. Benedict focused on moderation related to food and dress and money and prayer. This sixth century monk shunned the lavish and decadent lifestyle of Rome, retreated into a hermit's life and gathered uh, followers and, um, and then founded a bunch of monasteries. So if a ethic of moderation and then prayer at specific hours of the day appears to your spiritual style, you might look up the liturgy of the hours in the Benedictine tradition. Those of you like me, who might prefer a little bit more of a methodical approach, might like Wesley's general rule of life, which uses the four quadrants of the cross to imagine how to order our life. Uh, one half is loving God, one half loving neighbor, and doing that in private and in public. It's a simple but effective image to remind us to love God and neighbor. Others might just want to adopt a discipline of asking the question before you buy something. Will the purpose of this object or this building we're building glorify God and serve the community? And I know this is a question that the faithful leaders of our Buildings and Grounds Committee ask before embarking on new projects here at church. Or perhaps you would like to create a practice or continue a practice of serving at organizations that feed the hungry. This church supports a just, harvest, which, a just Harvest, which describes its work as feeding hunger and cultivating abundance. Katie Narwald and a small group of folks volunteer here regularly where the food from the garden is joyfully shared and community replaces isolation. And if none of those work for you, you can craft your own custom approach. Katie Lancaster and I and Bill probably have a number of resources that we could share with you and can point you to some of our adult education and Bible studies that might be a good match for you. Because spiritual disciplines transform our hearts and our minds through accountability and abundant grace. Disciplines are not a list of tasks to be accomplished or a set of goals to be met, but a way of becoming the people that God created us to be. Friends, you know it's very easy to get swept up in the pursuit of more, 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 like the man in the parable. It is easy to get wrapped up in our own lives and worries that we fail to notice our neighbor and to give thanks to God for all that we have and all that we do. But Jesus knew what it was like to be human, to worry and to scramble every day, just a few verses later, he reminds us, do not worry. Do not worry about your life or what you will eat or what you will wear. Look at the ravens and the lilies. God takes care of them. And just like that, God will take care of you. With that assurance that God will take care of us, friends, 
Let us trust that the Holy Spirit will strengthen and guide and sustain us as we develop our heart fitness regimens. By God's grace, may our hearts become vessels filled with richness toward God.